Okay, we are in Isaiah chapter 26 again this morning. And on Wednesday nights, we're going through chapter and verse uh, through Isaiah, the entire thing, each verse, each chapter. And we will be in Isaiah chapter 27 this Wednesday night. Uh, But Isaiah 27 really didn't have a lot there to uh, tie into Valentine's Day. So I, 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 going back to Isaiah 26, uh, Isaiah 27 is all about the judgment of God and, and so forth, uh, 27. So we're going back to 26 and we're going to uh, read a verse here in Isaiah 26, 9 uh, as a springboard, a little more appropriate for a Valentine's Day. Uh, and I've entitled this message, Desiring the Lord, Desiring the Lord. Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 9, the prophet says this. With my soul, I have desired you in the night. Yes, by my spirit within me, I will seek you early. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. And so desiring the Lord, the prophet is saying, With my soul, I have desired you. Yes, by my spirit within me, I will seek you early. And so this morning, we want to focus on our love for God. We often focus on God's love for us, and we often talk about how much God loves us. Indeed, he does love us. Uh, He loves us so much, he sent his only begotten son into the world to save us for all who would turn to him. Uh, and, And yet... We also are commanded and we are called and we are exhorted to love God back. That we are to desire him more than anyone else and to desire him more than anything else. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning on this Valentine's Day, February 14th, 2021. Focus on our love for God. And we are those who are his church, those who are his children through faith, we've been adopted into his family by faith in his son, Jesus Christ. We are those who have chosen, exercised our choice to respond to God who loved us so much that he sent his one and only son into this world in order to save us, to forgive us from our sins, to take us to heaven when we die, and to reconcile us to himself. We are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 5, and you don't have to hold your place there uh, in Isaiah 26, but in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, we read this. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, much more than... Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
And because of this, we have been justified. We've been declared not guilty, even though we are guilty. Jesus took our guilt and our shame and our sins upon the cross. And he took the punishment that we deserved so that God can declare us not guilty or innocent, even though we know we are sinners. We are justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are saved from God's wrath. The wrath that we deserve was poured out upon Jesus Christ upon the cross. We're saved uh, by his life from the wrath through Jesus Christ. And as a result of the death of his son, we have been reconciled to God. We were separated from God because of our sin. Now through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross and our faith in him, our belief in him, our trusting in him, being born again by our decision to repent and turn from our sins and turn to Christ for salvation, now we have peace with God. We have harmony with God. We have reconciliation with God. We have fellowship with God. And that's really when the journey begins, when we're born again. Jesus said in John chapter 3, a man must be born again or you will not see the kingdom of God. And so once we are born again, now we are attached back to God. We are reconciled back to God uh, our sin has been put away, and now it is all about us seeking the Lord and desiring the Lord. In 1 John and chapter 4 and verse 11, John the Apostle says, says this, Beloved, 1 John 4, 11, If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another... God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. Verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. His Holy Spirit, when we're born again, comes to take up residence within us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. For God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Verse 18, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment or judgment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. So God is the initiator, and we are the respondents. We respond to his love. He initiates his love for us, and we respond to his love. Uh, it's interesting that it says... Uh, John says in verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been perfected or made perfect in love. And so it's a very interesting correlation how he ties in love and fear uh, in the same context here. That if you are living in fear or you are operating out of fear, the decisions that you make, your thinking and so forth, you really don't understand the love of God. 
Because if you really understood the love of God, you would know there's nothing to fear. You're God's son, you're God's daughter, you're his child. Even death is not something to fear because really we don't really die. We don't, we're never separated from God. Jesus said, he who believes in me will never die. We know he didn't mean physically, he meant spiritually. Which is really what matters because the real essence of who you are and who I am is spirit. It's the soul of, of us that dwells within this body. You can cut off my arms and legs and change my body drastically and I would still be me because I'm more than the members of my body. I am a spirit, a soul that inhabits this body. One day this body will go back to the dust. It's not going to live forever. Spirit will live forever. And so we don't have to fear uh, anything as Christians. We really ought not to operate in fear. The enemy uh, gets us to try and operate in fear, and then we make unwise decisions, sometimes irrational decisions, uh, because of fear. As we see, uh, the mental conditioning in our culture is just pushing fear upon us. Fear, 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 to get everybody afraid of everybody else and afraid of this invisible virus and afraid of everything that could happen. And really, for the Christian, we don't have to fear anything. Because we have the love of God in us. The love of God shelters us and protects us. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. God is love. He is love incarnate. He is love personified. And he lives within us through his Holy Spirit. As his people, we have his spirit dwelling within us. So we don't have to fear anything. We love him because he first loved us. Jesus tells us in John chapter 15 and verse 9, As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you will keep my commandments, if you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. And so Jesus here is telling us this to his disciples. He's giving us this promise. As the Father has loved me, I also loved you. And we know that the Father loves the Son. He said, this is my only begotten Son whom I love when Jesus was baptized. As, as God the Father was demonstrating his love for his Son and, and breaking forth from heaven and speaking, this is my beloved Son. The son whom I love, in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus says, as the father loved me, so I also love you. And he tells us to abide in his love. That is to stay in his love, to remain in his love, to stay put. Don't depart from his love. Don't go looking for love anywhere else. You're not going to find it in this world. All of the other loves of this world are fleeting and, and passing away. But the love of the Lord endures forever. And there's no greater love than this, than one would lay down his life for his friends. And so Jesus demonstrated his love for us by laying down his life for us. So you don't have to question whether or not God loves you. God loves you and he knows you. And he knows what sort of a sinner you are. And he loves you anyways. 
because you are his child and you were created in his image. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So we, we have to understand this, that it's not a question of whether or not God loves us. We know God loves us. Really, the question should be, do we love God? And if we love God, what does that mean? Do we care about God? Do we seek him? Do we desire him earnestly? Do we want to please him more than anyone else? Do we want to know his word so that we can know his mind, so that we can know his heart? Do we want to be useful to him? Or are we just self-serving and we're just trying to please ourselves and get as much as we can out of this world uh, like the rest of the unbelievers do? We're not unbelievers. We shouldn't be acting like unbelievers anymore. You know, we're not going to take any of this stuff with us it's all going to be left behind. It's all going to burn. So we should be looking at eternity and focusing on what is it that God would have me to do? What does it mean to really love God? And of course, we know that the word that's used in the Greek is agape for this word love when we're talking about the love of God. And this is unconditional love. It's agape love. It's unconditional. It's God's love, which is eternal. It's unconditional regardless really of the response it is his love to us verse 17 of john 15 tells us uh, these things i command you that you love one another so the father loved the son the son loves us and we are called to then love each other and that is really uh, one way that we demonstrate our love for god is by loving one another so what is our response to this incredible precious love that Jesus has given to us. We should be those who desire the Lord to love the Lord more than anything else in this world. That should be our goal. Our desire should be to love God more than we love anyone else. And our problem often is that we love ourselves too much. It's really not even necessarily that we love others more than God. Often it's that we love ourselves more than we love God. Uh, and we are to deny ourselves. Jesus says, anyone who wishes to come after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and let him follow me. Paul the Apostle says, I die daily. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's God through Christ living through me. This life that I now live in the flesh, uh, Jesus lives through me, uh, Paul says. So we should be those who seek first the kingdom of God. We should be those who are longing for the Lord. And we must also remember that God will always meet us wherever we're at. Maybe you're not saved. Well, it's real, actually, it's pretty basic. You could get saved. You just need to surrender your life to God. It's our pride that gets in the way. And we think we could save ourselves or we could fix our problems ourselves or we could deal with it ourselves. And the reality is, is we can't do anything. We make a mess of everything. It's only by surrendering to God and just throwing up our arms and saying, I surrender, I lay all at your feet, that the Lord can then take us up and the Lord can mold us and shape us and make us into a vessel that he could fill, that he could then use uh, for his glory. But he's always there when you need him. Uh, I want to go back to the Psalms because the Psalms uh, are so beautiful. I, I read the Psalms every day when I'm reading my Proverbs. Uh, I read the Psalms every day as well. Psalms, uh, basically five chapters a day. You could get through the entire book of Psalms. There's 150 chapters every 30 days. So I read five chapters of Psalms every day, uh, correlating to the day of the calendar uh, of, of the month, 
The first I read Psalm 1 to 5, the second I read Psalm 6 to 10, etc. And then I start over the next month. So I'm in the Psalms a lot. I also read Proverbs every day. Um, and, I, and I think it's just encouraging when you go to the Psalms. You just see how David, who wrote most of the Psalms, was often agonizing, was often in, in, in terror and fear of his enemies. And when he put his eyes on his enemies, he was hopeless. But when he put his eyes on the Lord, he realized, God's got this. God is going to take care of this. I, I can't solve this myself. Only the Lord can help me. And so uh, the Psalms are such a, a beautiful expression of love for God. And really the desire, the longing for God that David expresses. Let's turn back to Psalm chapter 63. Psalm 63, verse 1. And we're going to look at several different passages here in the Psalms this morning. Speaking about our desiring for God, our love for God, our seeking the Lord. Psalm 63 verse 1 says this. O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land. Where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. This is a psalm of David when he was being uh, chased by his enemies. And he's telling the Lord, Lord, I'm going to seek you. You are my God. I'm going to seek you early. Just like Isaiah 26 said, seek the Lord early. Seek him in in the night. He says, so I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. And here we are uh, in the house of the Lord this morning. We're here together as the body of Christ, seeking the Lord earnestly. He says, my flesh longs for you. Verse 3, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. And my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. Because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. What a beautiful, beautiful psalm. And David wrote this at a time when he was running for his life, as most of his psalms were written when he was running for his life at one time or another. And David was the man after God's own heart. Not a perfect man, certainly. He sinned, but he was the man after God's own heart. And he tells us here that the Lord's loving kindness, because your loving kindness is better than life. The loving kindness of the Lord is better than anything this world has to offer, any love fleeting love that this world can possibly offer. Really, all the loves that we experience are just a shadow of the true love of God. His love is the ultimate love. His love is the eternal love. And all the other loves that we might experience in this world are fleeting. They're passing away, and they're just a glimpse of the love that God has for us. And so he says, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus, I will bless you, and I will lift up my hands in surrender Uh, to your name. I love that he says here in verse 8, my soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. So, you know, we, we, we could choose to follow a long ways off 
or we, like Peter did when he was following Jesus a ways off before he denied him, when Christ was arrested and was taken and Peter was there and he was following Jesus but a long way off and then he denied Jesus at the fires, you remember, when Jesus was taken before uh, the, the, the puppet uh, trial, the kangaroo court that was illegal and all the rest. Um, or we can do what David is saying here and we could follow close behind the Lord. That's your choice. That's your choice. But you would be wise to stick close to Jesus. You would be wise to abide in him and stick close to him and choose to put him first. As David says, you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. The idea of the chick underneath the, the wings of the mother that's protecting her, uh, uh, protecting her brood. And so follow close behind the Lord. In Psalm 62 Verse 1, going back a chapter, David says this, 62.1, Truly, my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. So he's waiting. David is waiting on the Lord. He says, my soul silently or quietly is waiting for God. There's a big difference waiting on the Lord between waiting on the Lord and just waiting for things to change. You know, if you're waiting for things to change or you're waiting for something to change, you may be waiting a very, very long time, months, years, decades. If you're waiting for something, God, I'm waiting for this to happen. I'm waiting for this to change. But if you're waiting on the Lord, then it really doesn't matter what's happening because your gaze is fixed firmly on Jesus and then nothing will move you. David says, my soul silently, quietly, restfully waits for God because only from God comes my salvation. David understood this. He only, he alone is my rock and my salvation. Do you believe that is true for you this morning? Do you believe that only God is your rock? Only God is your salvation? Only from him comes your help and your solution? He says, he is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. Let God defend you. He does a much better job defending us than we ever could do defending ourselves. In verse 8, he says, my soul waits silently for God alone. For my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He repeats this. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Verse 8. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. For God is a refuge for us. I love this. My soul waits silently for God alone. My expectation is from him. Again, if you're waiting on the Lord, you'll have peace. If you're waiting for things to change, you may be waiting for a very, very long time. And then the change that you're desiring may come and you still may not be happy. You may not be satisfied. So the Lord will never disappoint. He is my rock. He is my salvation. He is my defense. And I shall not be moved. In Psalm 61, in verse 1, we read this. Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. 
And so again, this is David writing this psalm at a difficult time in his life. And uh, this was a song that would have been sung. And he's, he's crying out to the Lord. He says, hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I will cry to you. He's saying, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Verse 3, for you have been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever and I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Again, it's a, it's a, it's a common theme over and over again, waiting on the Lord, trusting in the Lord, abiding in the Lord, being sheltered underneath the Lord. Let him be your covering. Let him be your defense. Let him be the one who protects you. In Psalm 60, in verse 11, we read this. Give us help from trouble, for vain is the help of man. Through God we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. So this is a cry to the Lord when you're in trouble, when you're struggling. Give us help from trouble, for vain is the help of man. And indeed, if you've ever turned to man for help, in a really dramatic and drastic situation or great need, you realize man will most times fail you, most often fail you. And then again, we fail others. I mean, we're humans. We can only do so much. Only God will never fail us. For vain is the help of man. But through God, we will do valiantly. It's not me. It's him working in my life and working in and through me. This is how I deal valiantly and how I have victory over my enemies. In Psalm 59 and verse 16, the psalmist said this. this is another psalm of David. But I will sing of your power, verse 16, Psalm 59. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning. For you have been my defense or my defender and refuge in the day of my trouble. To you, O my strength, I will sing praises. For God is my defense, the God of my mercy. And one of the ways that you can seek the Lord, the way that you can desire the Lord, is by singing songs to the Lord and just make a joyful noise unto the Lord. We have some wonderful, beautiful singers and talented singers here, and you may not be such a wonderful, talented singer, but it doesn't mean that you can't sing praises to God, that you can't uh, even pray these psalms as a prayer to God or grab the Bible and start praying the scriptures and the promises of God through prayer. And then you know that you are praying uh, according to the will of God. And if you pray according to the will of God, Jesus says you know that God is going to hear your prayer. If he hears your prayer, he will answer your prayer. Back in Psalm 57, Psalm 57 and verse 1, we read this. Another Psalm of David, when he was running away from Saul, who was trying to kill him. But be, be merciful to me, O God. Psalm 57, 1. Be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. 
And again, David was literally running for his life. And he's crying out to God, God, be merciful to me. This is a psalm when David was hiding uh, in a cave. He was hiding in a, in a cave in Engedi when Saul's army was outside. And uh, one of the times Saul came into a cave where David was hiding in the back of the cave. And Saul came to relieve himself uh, and go to the bathroom. And his armies were outside the entrance of the cave. And David with his men were hiding in the mountains. I've been there to En Gedi. It's pretty amazing. We see, we've seen the cave where we believe this event happened. Where David was hiding uh, from King Saul way back in the back of the cave. You can't actually crawl into the cave, but you could see it. And, uh, and, and David would not raise his hand against King Saul. You remember, uh, David's men wanted him to kill Saul because he had a great opportunity. Saul was completely unaware that David was there in that cave hiding from him. Uh, but David would not lift his hand against God's anointed. God said, I will not touch God. David said, I will not touch God's anointed. Uh, and, and he trusted the Lord to take care of his enemies. But he says that I'm going to cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. And he who reproaches, he reproaches the one who would swallow me up, and God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. Now notice what he says in verse 4. In verse 4, he puts his eyes on the problems. He puts his eyes on the fact that he's running for his life, and someone with an army is trying to kill him. The king is after him, King Saul. He says in verse 4, My soul is among the lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue is a sharp sword. So he, he looks at his problems and he says, this is a disaster. This is a mess. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm through. I'm over. These guys are, they're going to they're gonna kill me. And then he turns his eyes to God again in verse 5. He says, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. So he puts his eyes back on God, realizing this is my hope, my help, my only salvation is from the Lord. Then he puts his eyes back on his enemies and his problems. In verse 6, he says, they have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit before me. Into the midst of it, they themselves have fallen. So he sees that God is going to cause them to fall into the snares and the pits and the traps that they had set for David, that God was going to cause them to fall into their own snares and pits and traps. And then he says in verse 7, My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and I will give praise. Awake my glory. Awake lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations, for your mercy reaches unto the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. So you notice that when he takes his eyes off his enemies and he puts his eyes back on God, he writes all these beautiful hymns and all these beautiful songs for us to read thousands of years later that are so encouraging to us. Uh, but when he put his eyes on his enemies and on his problems, he was overwhelmed with them because he couldn't handle it. It was too big for him. His enemies were too powerful for him. So he had to throw himself upon God as his defender. We read in Psalm 56 and verse 3, David says this, whenever I am afraid I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? And David was at that point where he said, whenever I'm afraid, I'm going to trust in the Lord. 
such a wonderful, wonderful encouragement to you and I that you could trust in the Lord, especially when you're afraid, especially when you're dealing with things that are out of your control, things that are bigger than you, giants that you can't handle. But God can take care of the giants. He always has. He always will. And, and he says, what can man do to me? What is it that they would be able to do uh, to harm me? I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? If God is on your side, you don't have to fear man. You just have to trust the Lord and you have to continue to seek the Lord with all your heart, desiring the Lord more than anything else. Skip to verse 8 of Psalm 56. He says, you number my wanderings, put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know because God is for me. In God, I will praise his word. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? I love it. He says, you put my tears in your bottle. That the Lord literally catches. He sees every tear that you cry. And he catches all those tears. They're precious to him. And he's here to comfort you in your affliction and in your sorrows. And he gives us that comfort uh, that is, uh, it's, 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 it's unimaginable comfort. It's something that is supernatural. It's something, the comfort of Jesus Christ, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, he is our comforter, is just beyond our un- understanding or comprehension. That we could have peace and comfort in the midst of our storms and in the midst of loss and trial. And yet, he says, I cry out to you. I will praise his word. I will praise his word. In Psalm 50, verse 15, we read this. This is a psalm of Asaph. Psalm 50, verse 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. What a beautiful promise. Call unto me. Or call upon me in the day of your trouble, God says, and I will deliver you and you shall and and you shall glorify me. God gets all the glory. The problem is, is that often in our times of trouble, we turn to other people to solve our problems. We run to man and we think that man can save us and man can help us. and, And man is, you know, limited on what man can do to help us in our times of need. But God is unlimited. He has all power available. He could do anything. There's nothing impossible for God. And so God is saying, call upon me in the day of your trouble and I will deliver you and then you will glorify me. Because again, God gets all the glory when he comes into our mess and he straightens out the messes that we make or that other people make for us in our lives. He says in verse 16, but to the wicked, God says, what right have you to declare my statutes or take my covenant in your mouth, seeing that you hate instruction And you cast my words behind you. When you saw a thief, you consented with him and have been a partaker with adulterers. You give your mouth to evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done and I kept silent. You thought that I was altogether like you, but I will reprove you and set them in order before your eyes. Verse 22, now consider this, you who forget God, 
lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. And then he says, whoever offers praise glorifies me. And to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. And so the Lord considers those wicked who declare his statutes or take his covenant in their mouth, but they hate instruction and they don't obey his word. They throw his word. He says, you cast my words behind your back. In other words, you don't give any thought or concern or care to my word and to my words. God says, why would you, uh, why, why would you take up my statutes or my covenant in your mouth? And um, beautiful though, verse 23, whoever offers praise glorifies me and to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. We read back in Psalm 31, Psalm 31 and verse 13. For I hear the slander of many, fear is on every side. While they take counsel together against me, they scheme to take away my life. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. Make your face shine upon your servant. Save me for your mercy's sake. So the the psalmist is saying, I'm going to trust in the Lord. He's declaring, you are my God. He's reminding himself, my times are in your hand. In other words, you can't die before your time. Our times are in God's hand. When God tells us it's time to go home to heaven, it's going to be time to go go home to heaven. There's not going to be any stopping it, and I wouldn't want to stop it. Um, I'd probably be the person who would say, do not resuscitate me. If I die, let me go. You know, I don't want to come back to this place. So, um, you know, but but until it's it's my time or your time, uh, the devil really can't kill you. He can't touch you unless God gives uh, the enemy permission, like in the story of Job. We read in verse 23, He says, Oh, love the Lord, all you his saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. In other words, God will settle the scores. He'll he'll take care of your enemies. He says, Be of good cheer, verse 24, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. So we have to cast our cares on the Lord. We have to cry out to God in our time of need. We have to cry out to God first before we cry out to man. To help us. In Psalm 43 and verse 3, we read this Oh, send out your light and your truth. Oh, let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And on the harp I will praise you, O God, my God. And then he says this, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. What a beautiful, beautiful prayer. What a beautiful song. What a beautiful cry of the psalmist's heart. Lord, send your light and your truth. You know, when you're in a dark place, you need God's light to illuminate the darkness so that you could see clearly. You could have the proper perspective of what you're facing. Oftentimes, our trials that we face are really God allowing our faith to be tested so that we could see how strong or actually how weak our faith really is. Because 
as we know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And a lot of people don't spend a lot of time in the word of God. So they think their faith is stronger than it is. And then wham, they get hammered. They get blindsided by a trial or some event that they didn't expect to come. And their faith is shaken to the core because their faith was not as strong as they thought it was. And that's a good opportunity for you to strengthen your faith, to turn back to God in the midst of your trials. And this is what the psalmist is saying. Lord, give me your light Give me your truth. And we know that his word is light. His word is truth. He says, let them lead me. Let God's light and truth lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill, to your tabernacle. And then he talks to himself in verse 5. He's he's commanding his soul. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? And he commands himself he says hope in God for I shall yet praise him the help of my countenance and my God and sometimes we have to we have to preach to ourselves sometimes we have to preach the scriptures to ourselves that's what the psalmist is doing here he's saying what are you worried about self what are you worried about oh my soul trust in God God's got this God is sovereign I'm his child he loves me he has a plan and he's promising that he's going to work All things together for good for those who love God. So again, the question is not whether or not this trial is going to work out for good. The question is whether or not you love God. Because if you love God and if you are the called according to his purpose, Romans 5, 28, then God promises whatever you're facing, all things, everything is working together for your good and for God's glory. In Psalm, one more Psalm here. There's so many beautiful Psalms. In Psalm 55, 22, Another beautiful promise here. Psalm 55, 22. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. So this is the idea of casting your cares upon the Lord. Cast your burden upon the Lord. Take your problem and throw it at the feet of Jesus and look up at Jesus hanging on the cross and dying for your sins on the cross and know that this is God's love. He suffered and he died and he took my sins and he took my place on the cross and therefore I can trust him. He loved me so much that he left his throne in heaven. He took on a human body and he came into this fallen, rotten, sinful world and he suffered and died an agonizing death on the cross to demonstrate his love for you and for me. And, and, and if God loves me that much, I can trust him. And I could cast my burden upon him. And it says, and he will sustain you. And he will never permit the righteous to be moved. You know, in our culture today, uh, there, there's so much um, pushed upon us to find satisfaction so much in the media and in, in, in movies and in television and all of this different media that's just bombarding us. Of course, social media and the internet and everything else is all designed to get you to question whether or not you're happy. And are you really happy? In your life? You know, are you really happy um, in your home? Are you really happy in your marriage? Are you really happy in your job? Are you really happy in your church? Maybe if you just went here, then you'd really be happy. And so, you know, you're constantly chasing this elusive happiness or this elusive idea of contentment or satisfaction. And, and, and it's meant to get you chasing all these other things and often spending your money on these things as well. Uh, th- that somehow, some way, someday you may 
grasp it and you're going to be happy and then you're going to find love, true love, and then you're going to be content. But it's all really a lie from the enemy. You're not going to find really true love in this world if you're not looking to love himself. God is love. And so you're not going to find love in this world if you're not experiencing the love of God and the love from God. And uh, on, on Valentine's Day especially, you know, there's a lot of pressure on people uh, to, you know, have a spouse or have a girlfriend or have a boyfriend. And somehow those who, you know, um, are married, they think, well, maybe I'd be happier if I was married to someone else. Or maybe I'd be happier if I was single. Boy, married life is sure hard. I, I wonder what it would be like to be single. And, you know, the enemy will get into people's heads and, you know, get, get into their minds to make them think the grass is greener somewhere else. And then people who are single think, oh, if I was just married, if I was just married, I'd be happy. I like one of my friends said that it reminded him, he was thinking about people wanting, who were single wanting to be married in the church and people who are married wanting to be single in the church. And he said it reminded him of like flies on the window. You know, the flies are on the window trying to come in uh, inside the sliding glass door and, and you're keeping the door closed. You know, and then you let the flies in and then they want to go out. And they're on the sliding glass door want to go out. I don't know if that's a good analogy. Probably not for marriage. But um, he was saying people that are married want to be single. And people who are single want to be married, you know. And, and the idea is if you're not satisfied where you are, you're not going to be satisfied whether you're single or you're married. That's the point. Uh, you can't find your satisfaction in people. You have to find your satisfaction in God. And I want to conclude with in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, just as an encouragement uh, to those who are married and to those who are single on this Valentine's Day. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 25, Paul the Apostle says this. Now concerning virgins or those young maidens who were unmarried, he says, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. Verse 26 I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Notice this. Verse 27. Are you bound to a wife or to a husband? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? In other words, you're not married? Do not seek a wife or a husband. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none, and those who weep as those that they did not weep, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use this world as not misusing it, for the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman carries the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper and that you may serve the Lord without distinction. 
And so what is Paul saying here? Most people believe Paul was married. Paul was a Pharisee. There's no way that Paul in first century A.D. could have been an unmarried Pharisee. It wouldn't have happened in the Jewish culture. There's no way he would have been part of the ruling class, the religious leading class as a rabbi in Israel if he was not married. And yet he tells us that he is single in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He tells us that he is unmarried. And he says, you know, you'd probably be better off as I am, unmarried. He's talking about marriage and divorce and unbelieving spouses leaving and being bound to an unbelieving spouse and so forth. Uh, so Paul the Apostle understands what it meant to be married, very likely. He understands what it meant. He was probably, his wife probably abandoned him when he became an on-fire Christian, because remember before, Saul of Tarsus was out there killing Christians and arresting Christians. Then Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, and uh, Saul became Paul, and he became the great apostle. And so no doubt, in that Jewish culture, when somebody converted to Christianity, they would disown you. Matter of fact, in the Orthodox Jewish culture to this day, if you become a Christian, they will disown you. Your family will have a funeral for you. The very strict Orthodox religious Jews, if you leave the Jewish faith for another religion, any other religion, they treat you as dead. They disown you uh, to this day. And so this is likely what Paul was experiencing. And so he's speaking as someone who is single, who had been married, so he could speak to both the married and the single here. And he's giving us this wisdom. He's saying, just remain as you are. Uh, are you married? Are you bound to a wife or a husband? Then don't seek to be loose. Don't think the grass is greener somewhere else. Just make the best of what you have. And he says, are you loose from a wife? Are you someone who your spouse has left you? Or maybe you're single, you're unmarried. He says, do not seek to be married. In other words, be content in whatever situation you find yourself in. And God is big enough that if he wants you to be married and you're single, he'll bring you a spouse. But if you go looking and you go dating and you go, and I'm not saying you can't date or anything like this, don't misunderstand me. I'm just saying that oftentimes people who are seeking love, they, they never find it. They go from one relationship to another, to another, to another, to another, thinking that this one may satisfy the deepest longing of my heart. This relationship, this person, and they put this person on a pedestal and all these expectations, and then the person fails because we all fail each other, and then you go looking again for, for, for love. And uh, the idea is just to be satisfied with the love of Christ. Just find your contentment in your existing relationship. Um, I don't often talk about it. Many of you know I went through a divorce about five years ago. wasn't my choice. I didn't want to be divorced. My uh, wife left me and didn't want to be a Christian anymore. Didn't certainly want to be married to me anymore. Um, Pastor Bob was one of my dear friends who kind of carried me through that time where I was suffering, uh, trying to figure out what was going on. The bottom line is, is that everybody has free will. People could wake up and change their mind. If they depart from the Lord and the enemy gets in, um, people will leave their spouses for whatever reason. And so, um, so I could speak a little bit to this. Rich Nimmer is a good friend of mine. He, he knows Jeff Smith, Chuck Smith's son, uh, helped counsel me through this time. And many other pastor friends of mine were there for me when I was going through this time of loss. And yet I didn't lose my relationship with God, although I lost my marriage. And tragically at the time, um, you know, I, I lost my children in, in the custody battle, in the courts and so forth. Uh, but, but in the end, I didn't lose my faith. And I'm not looking 
for a spouse or a wife or anyone to come into my life and make me whole. If I'm not whole with just me and God, then I'm never going to be whole. And, and I, I share this with you today for you, let's say, single people or you divorced people or you people, perhaps some of you are widows or widowers today. Don't think that if you just had a mate that you're going to be happy and your life is going to be complete. You could be happy and content and your life could be complete, whatever condition you find yourself in. And so I want to encourage you today, just surrender your situation to God. Whatever you, you may be in a difficult marriage. You may be, may be in a marriage where your spouse is thinking of leaving you or you are thinking of leaving your spouse. And I would encourage you uh, uh, to save your marriage at whatever cost that you can, unless there's harm being done or there's abuse taking place and somebody is abusing somebody in the home, I would say do whatever you can uh, to save your marriage because God hates divorce. But if you are single today, don't think that you need to go find a mate or a spouse or a girlfriend or a boyfriend. It's a lie. It's a trap because all you're going to find is another sinner just like you who's not perfect, who's not going to be able to meet the deepest longing of your soul because only God can meet the deepest longing of your soul. And if you're not content with God's love, what makes you think you're ever going to be content with the love of man or woman in this life? And so I just want to encourage you just to find your place in God, find your contentment in the Lord. And Paul also says this, that he's warning us about this because he says that he who's married is going to have trouble in the flesh. And indeed, that is a fact. As soon as people get in the flesh in marriage, one or the other spouse gets in the flesh. You're going to have trouble in the flesh for sure. And, uh, and, and so I just want to encourage you this morning, seek the Lord, desire the Lord, long for the Lord, trust in the Lord, cast your cares upon the Lord because he loves you and because he cares for you and he will take you right where you're at, whatever condition you find yourself in today, just surrender your life to God this Valentine's Day. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you for your unconditional agape love, your love that is eternal, your love that is unwavering, your love that is total, your love that is perfect. Lord, you know us, and yet you love us anyways. You know us with all of our faults, all of our failures, Lord, all of our weaknesses, and yet you love us. You sent your son to die for us. You sent your son to save us. You sent your son to take our sins away from us. We thank Jesus for your unconditional love. We thank you, Jesus, that we are your bride. You were never married on this earth, Jesus, because you have your bride. Your bride is your church. And we thank you that you love your bride unconditionally, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you wash us white as snow, Lord, that you cleanse us from our sins and from all our filthiness and unrighteousness. I pray, Father, for those today who are struggling in their marriage, that you would be to them whatever their need is, Father God, that their hope would be in you today. I pray for those who are struggling with loneliness or struggling perhaps in singleness or have gone through a divorce, Lord, the loneliness and the, the brokenheartedness that goes along with this, Father. May they find healing this morning through you, Lord, and through your love. 
Father, we thank you that no matter what condition we find ourselves in here today, Lord, that you love us. And Lord, that we are satisfied with your love. May we abide in your love this morning. And bless your people, Father. Thank you for everyone who's here, everyone who's listening today, Lord. May you encourage them and bless them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful Valentine's Day. We all want to thank you for listening. If this message has blessed you, as we all pray that it has, send the link to this podcast to your friends. Working together, we can get Michael's teaching of the whole of God's inerrant word to all those who hunger to hear it. If you would like to see this ministry expand to reach even more of the broken and lost, if you have questions, comments, and prayer requests, email us at coahpodcast at gmail.com. We would be honored to pray for you, as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church, Tehachapi, California.